0: We're still dealing with the second section of the Catechism, that section which deals with the grace of God that redeems us from all of our sins. And we've been working our way with our teacher's help through the Apostles' Creed. We're now at Lord's Day 22, question 57, where we are asked, What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? And the answer we are expected to give is, Not only shall my soul, after this life, immediately be taken up to Christ my head. But also, this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. Now, there are two important propositions in this question, and they are inextricably linked. There is the first part, dealing with the human soul and what happens to the soul when the body dies. And there is the resurrection of the body, which will happen when the Lord returns. And the Catechist answers his own question with a kind of a not-only-but-also kind of answer. Not only will we have the comfort of being with the Lord when we die, but also we shall one day be reunited with our physical body. Both are two sides of the one coin. Let's break down how the Catechist deals with this. Proposition 1. The human soul. We all have a soul. When the body dies, our body rots away in the ground. But the soul lives on. And where does it live? With the Lord. And how does that happen? Because Christ is our head, who has gone into heaven before us. Proposition 2. The human body. The body that we have is led to rest in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead. How so? Well, the power of the risen Christ will also raise the dead who have died in the Lord. The body will be reunited with the soul and the body will never again suffer from decay or sickness or sin, but will be like Christ's risen glorified body, that restored body. Made to be as we were originally intended to be is described as glorious. Now here's the difficulty. What happens in between the two? The gap between our death and the resurrection of the body. And we call that the intermediate state. Now, that's quite a lot of information to sift through. So I'm going to look at it over two episodes. I'm Bob McAvoy and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. So let's deal with some issues around the death of the believer and the destiny of the believer's soul at death. First of all, let's read from the book of Philippians, chapter 1 and verse 21. And Paul's writing here, and he writes, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labour. Yet what I choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Years ago, I had a deacon in a church who was constantly trying to work out the state of the soul during the gap between death and the resurrection. He just couldn't get his head around the idea that there was this gap between death death and the day when the Lord would come, and where he would be in that period. One day I called it his home, and he very excitedly told me that he'd actually worked it out. He had discovered where the soul goes at death. He told me it goes to Abraham's bosom. What, I said? Where's that? It's a place somewhere, he answered, where the soul goes after death because it says so in Luke sixteen twenty-two to 23 It's the story of the beggar who died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. He said it's a place where we are kept safe until the resurrection day. So after I'd finished groaning in exasperation, I tried to explain again to him some facts. I want you to read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9 to 11. And there we hear about Abraham. It tells us there, by faith, Abraham lived as a foreigner in the promised land, as though it were a foreign country, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were fellow of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with firm foundations, who's architect and whose builder is God. Abraham wasn't just looking for an earthly home, he was looking for a heavenly city. So I asked him a question. Where is Abraham, do you think, right now, in that verse? In the verse that we've just read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9 to 11. When he wasn't looking for an earthly city, where is he looking for? Oh, said the taken, he must have been looking for heaven, a heavenly city. Right, in heaven. Abraham's in heaven. Where was Lazarus? And no doubt actually being welcomed by Abraham with a warm embrace. He's in heaven. Oh, let's look at some more common misunderstandings about the soul's destiny. Just a few of them. Some people think that when we die... We go to heaven and that is our forever state. That's a common belief among most Christians. G.I. Williamson has a great illustration in his book on the Heidelberg Catechism. He writes about a Christian woman who was facing death and who believed that it didn't matter about her body because soon she would be with the Lord and she would never need this earthly flesh again. Her pastor assured her that indeed she would be needing her body again. He put it to her like this. What happened to the body of Jesus when he died? Oh, he was buried, he was laid in the tomb. Right, and what happened then? Oh, that's easy, he rose up from the dead. Right, said the pastor. And so that's exactly what happens to us too, because the Bible teaches us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will raise us up at the last day. Many Christians, especially those who have A simple faith, who our new believers perhaps simply want to focus on going to heaven when we die. Why not? After all, we've been rescued by Jesus from a lost eternity. Well, we do want to go to heaven when we die, and that's exactly what happens. But there's much more to come later on in God's plan. Then some people think that when we die, our souls sleep until the last day. That after death, the soul remains in an unconscious state, awaiting the last day. Now, that's more common in Northern Ireland, for it was one of the key distinctive doctrines of the oneness Church of God of years gone by. And, of course, many of the Church of God preachers became acceptable in other churches because of their distinctive Pentecostal doctrines and they got out into the mission halls, and they influenced the wider Christian population. And of course the Bible often speaks of dead saints being asleep, so they used that as ammunition, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so also we believe that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep as Christians. But it is the body that sleeps until resurrection day, not soul. You can see why sleep is being used as, as an analogy though, for sleep implies rest, the cessation of work, the anticipation of one day wakening up. But to the thief on the cross, Jesus said in Luke 23 and verse 41, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Now that's today. Not in 10 years, or 25 years, or a 100 years, or a 1,000 years, or 10,000 years. It's today. There is no time for the soul to sleep. Furthermore, Paul looked forward to the day of his departure from this world. Remember what we read in that passage from Philippians. Paul says, For I am hard pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Paul wanted to be in heaven. It was highly desirable, and that's hardly a reference to a comatose state. In Revelation 6 and verse 10, the martyred souls who are under the altar are described by John. Here's what he says. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They're in heaven. They're waiting for Judgment Day, and they are crying out for their vindication. It must be incredibly difficult for a soul who is deeply sleeping to be crying out seeking justice. So no soul sleep. But then there are people who think that when we die, we go to purgatory. Now, I know we've dealt with this issue before in one of our Table Talk episodes, but it's good to refresh our memories. Purgatory, of course, is a distinctly Roman Catholic doctrine. It's the belief that after death, the soul will go into this purgatory to be purged of any remaining sin. And there in purgatory, souls will suffer anguish. And by that suffering, supposedly they will be purified of any remaining sin and made fit to enter heaven. Now, this final purification from sin that Catholics think they will go to endure is not at all pleasant. I'm glad it's a false doctrine. I'm glad that purgatory doesn't exist. Catholics are quick to point out that purgatory is a cleansing fire, but there's no cleansing of sin through fire. In the Bible, sin is cleansed by blood, by Christ's blood. Christ's blood shed on the cross for sinners. Again, remember that Paul was looking forward with joyful anticipation to what would become his soul after its departure from this life. He wasn't fearing a painful process of purging. He was looking forward to heaven. I remember hearing the testimony of a Roman Catholic who'd been converted to Christ. He'd grown up in a Catholic home and he'd gone to the Catholic seminary at Maynooth. And he was back home for his holidays. He talked to his neighbour. His neighbour was a Christian. And and his neighbour asked, how are you getting on at seminary? And what are you learning? And he said, well, at the minute we've been discussing the catechism, the Catholic catechism, and I'm learning about the doctrine of purgatory, where our sins will be purged away and we're made fit for heaven. His neighbour said to him, did you ask your seminary professor where purgatory is in the Bible? No, he said, I didn't do that. We just learned it from the traditions and from the catechism. Well, if you come into my house, I'll show you where purgatory is in the Bible. So he came in and his neighbour sat down and he read Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 13. Here's what it says. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us, by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, The Christian friend explained to the young seminarian that Christ had purged our sins and that having completed his saving work, he had sat down at the right hand of God in heaven. Our sins were all purged away by Jesus, him alone, and no further works of ours are needed or are necessary. So our catechist teaches us that when we die, our soul goes immediately to be with the Lord, according to the scripture. Let's read some Bible passages. Luke 16 and verse 22 talks about how the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. Luke 23 and verse 43 Speaking to the thief on the cross, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Revelation 14 and 13. And John, writing the words that he is given by the Lord Jesus, says, I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labours and their works follow them. Our catechist, our instructor, Zacharias Ursinus, the main author of our catechism, in his commentary on this question wrote this, These and similar passages of scripture teach and prove most surely that the soul not only in the body but also during the whole space that occurs between death and resurrection exists, lives, feels and understands without the body, although the manner of its operation is unknown to us. So catechist has dealt with that in-between state, that intermediate state between our death and the day of resurrection. And like Paul, we can say that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord.